ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with, because we believe in taking notes here at Victory. And if you don't believe in taking notes, grab out something to write on anyways. All right, just go ahead and pull that out. I'm going to win you over. I say this every year. I'm going to say it again this year. Some of you were wondering where I was going to say it. I'm going to say it right now. This will be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. If it's the best year of your life spiritually, I promise you this will be the best year because everything that you do stems from your relationship with God. Everything that you do in your life, every relationship you have, every family unit you're creating, everything you do comes out of your relationship with God. And so if you pursue him first, I promise it'll be the best year of your life. And as a church, we do that. We pursue him first with this thing we call the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Every January, if you're new to our church, I want to kind of introduce it to you. Uh, If you missed last week, we set aside 21 days. So it's going to be today, January 9th through the 29th. And we fast and we pray and we seek the Lord. And it's just awesome time. So on the weekend, Sunday, we have our services here. Uh, Saturday, we'll be streaming online. But Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., we meet here in the church. And we just have time of worship. We have a different kind of schedule this time around. So if you're used to it, you'll see a little bit of something new to kind of keep us focused. But we begin to pray. We focus our lives these 21 days. We submit. We say, Lord, these 21 days we devote to you. The beginning of the year we give to you. And then alongside of that, we begin to fast. Because if you're like me, it's probably important here at the beginning of the year uh, to kind of get some things rebalanced. Get some things back in focus, get some things, because if you're like me towards the end of the year, how many know there's this like end of the year skid we all kind of get into? I don't know, somewhere around Christmas uh, to New Year's, we just kind of let everything go, right? We are binge watching, watching what we want. We are eating what we want, sleeping when we want. So some of you, you're trying to fit in every TV show under the sun till about four in the morning. Some of you, you are binge watching and binge eating every brownie and chocolate chip cookie you can find in the house. Come on, somebody. Somewhere near the end of the year, we kind of let let everything go. And it's important that we bring that back into balance a little bit, that we, we start to bring our lives back and we rebalance. We kind of come out of that skid and the fast is important for that. But it's also important in that we are silencing the world, that during this fast, we are silencing the voice of the flesh, the voice of the world. And we are opening ourselves to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we are actually taking the time to do that. It's not just lip service. It's not something nice we say and then we kind of put in the back shelf not something if we ever become super religious one day, then we would do it. No, we're going to actually go after God for these 21 days. We're going to submit this time to him. We're going to say, I'm giving it over to you. And I believe it's so important in the life of our church. Now, if you are new to fasting or you are new to prayer, I devoted all of last week uh, to this topic, kind of laying out the different types of fast. And so you can go and watch that uh, on the, the podcast or you can listen to it or in the app, whatever it is. We have some resources there for you. Uh, I would encourage you to do it quickly because the fast starts today, everybody. So just go ahead and check that out. But I promise if you've never fasted before, it's probably not what you think it is. It, it probably. So just give me a chance. Go and watch that message. Give me a chance to kind of sell it to you because I promise it'll be one of the best things you can do for your spiritual life. And I know fasting gets a bad rap all of the time, but it's probably not what you think it is. Because honestly, for a whole lot of you, it's not food that you have to give up. Food isn't the thing that has its grip on your life. It's all of these other things that we've allowed to have a grip on our life. So it's our phones and it's our our apps and our technology. It's our our binge watching Netflix and Hulu and all the rest of those. Honestly, for a whole lot of us, that has more of a hold than food ever did. And so if we're going to actually say that we're going to silence the world, if we're going to actually say that we're going to go after God with everything, we're going to actually fast. We got to give up those things that actually have a hold. 
And so I would just encourage you. I'm not calling everybody in our church to go 21 days without eating. What I am saying is I want everybody to participate in the spirit of fasting. That we are going to give up something that has a hold on us. We're going to silence the voice of the world so we can hear the voice of God. And he does speak. In these 21 days, we have seen answers to miracles. We have seen so many different ways that God has moved in our church. We've seen strengthened relationships. We have seen so many things come out of the 21 days that I want that for your life. If you've never participated, I promise you jump in this season. Now, I want to help you kickstart that this morning because I've been praying over this year. And I couldn't help but see, I've been kind of praying over the year as a whole, kind of where we're going, what God has for us, what doors he's going to open for a church. But I couldn't help keep thinking, and I know a lot of you do the same. I kept thinking about the season that we came through. That this rough season that we've been in, and honestly, it's been maybe rougher for some than others, but all of us have been through something in these last couple of years that we've lived through, some things. And so my idea as I began praying, God, what do you have for this new year is, Lord, then what are you going to do? God, how are you going to move? God, how are we supposed to respond as a church, not only to what we've been through, to what you are taking us to? What should we be doing? God, what does it look like? And so I want to read you a story uh, this morning and then kind of help you understand what's happening in it. And I was trying to go through my memory. I don't think I've ever taught out of this story before on a Sunday morning. And so we're going to read it together and then I'll kind of explain some things. But it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Come on, they made it in a paperback, everybody. So if you have that with you. If not, we've got it up here on the screen and in the app we got the fill in the blank version there is no shame there i want you to whatever you will use i want you to use to read god's word all right everybody so whatever you've got let's go ahead and go to it so first samuel chapter 30 david's on his way back with his men to the city of ziklag and i'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment but the bible says three days later when david and his men arrived home at their town of ziklag they found the amalekites had made a raid into the Negev in Ziklag, and they had crushed David's city. They had crushed his city of Ziklag, and they had burned it to the ground. Verse 2, they carried off the women and children and everyone else, but they didn't kill anybody. And so when David and his men saw the ruins, realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Now, this, was, this is not like our culture back then. They were very expressive culture. So they weren't manly men because they didn't express emotion. You understand that? They had no problem expressing emotion, being around men that they had just gotten done going to battle with. They had no qualms with weeping amongst each other. And honestly, this emotion and expressive culture is kind of what we should probably get back to. But that's another day for another sermon. But they wept together. And David was affected as well. David's two wives went in from Jezreel and Abigail. So that's hard word from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those who were captured. And so it says David's not even affected, but David was actually in great danger because he's now all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. So here is David. All right. He has come to one of the lowest moments in his life. Everything is gone. His city is burned to the ground his entire life. He's returned home with his men to find that his family is gone. They're taken. Everything that he worked to accomplish, all his possessions, everything is gone. Someone's come to his home city and burned it to the ground. And if that wasn't bad enough, now David, all the people that he thought were his friends, the people he just went to war with, the ones he had their backs, they had his back. All of them are now talking about him, that they're going to stone him. In the middle of his grief, in the middle of his things, now the people even that he thought were on his side have turned against. So here's David. He's lost his possessions. He's lost his finances. He's lost his family. He's lost his city. He's lost his friends. 
And he's in one of the darkest moments of his life. And yet if we back up the story, I want you to see for a moment that what happens in this story is not just happenstance. That David actually has a hand in some of the things that are coming to pass in his life. If you rewind the story, and bear with me if you know the story of David well, I would just remind you that there was a time where you didn't know the story, all right? So you would just bear with all of us who are not as, you know, biblically knowledge as you are. But if we rewind the story, David was the young boy watching over the sheep. And he had been anointed to be the king of Israel. Now, Saul was the first king of Israel. But God rejected Saul because he ultimately did not do what God told him to do. The word he had for Saul's life, he didn't follow. And so Samuel the prophet now is on the hunt for the next king of Israel. God has sent him out to anoint while Saul is still sitting on the throne. And he comes to the house of Jesse. God sends the prophet to the house of Jesse and says, you'll find the king in Jesse's house. And so Samuel shows up. But all the people that Jesse puts in front of him, God says, I've rejected them. They're not the king over Israel. And so Sam was like, none of these guys are the king. Do you have any other sons? Because I know he's supposed to be in this house somewhere. And so they send to get David from the shepherd fold. They send to get David out from watching the sheep. Can you imagine the pain in David's life that he suddenly realizes that he wasn't even among the first candidates his father thought could even be the king? Like he wasn't even included in the first group. So he shows up. They pull him out from watching the sheep which honestly was one of the most low occupations he could have had. That was usually reserved for the servants, but they gave it to one of the sons. So he has a little bit of issues he's working through. But David shows up and Samuel looks at him and God says, this is him. This is supposed to be the next king. So Samuel anoints David, the next king of Israel. He's going to be the next king and nothing changes in David's life. They send him right, I don't know how, maybe two minutes after, they send him right back out to watch the sheep. And so that's probably a little frustrating for David because now his life is in jeopardy, right? The Bible tells us that the lion and the bear attacked the sheep and all of us would have been justified in being like, yeah, take all the sheep. I'm supposed to be the king. Like you just, come on, somebody. I, I got to keep myself safe. This face is my, it's my moneymaker. We got we to keep this. But David doesn't say that. David, with his bare hands, kills the lion and kills the bear and sees God's move in his life. It's an incredible story in the life of David. Then you fast forward a couple of years and Israel goes to war against the Philistines and David shows up on the front lines to visit his brothers and he sees, and you know the story, he sees Goliath out there and David with his little slingshot and his smooth stones, right? He goes out and defeats. God gives him the victory over the giant. Incredible victory over Goliath. And so you see the steps now he's taken. He can finally think, okay, this is God working. I'm about to be the king. Because David is now just thrown onto the public scene. Everybody knows his name. They begin to sing the song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. David's getting a little momentum. He's probably thinking, yeah, I'm on the path God has for me. But then he moves into the palace. Come on, somebody. He moves in the palace and he begins to play his little harp for Saul when Saul is afflicted by a demon that torments him. And so David, when David plays, incredible psalmist, wrote most of the psalms in your Bible. Incredible songwriter, all these things. When David would play, it says the presence of God, it would set Saul free. And so you think Saul would be incredibly thankful for that, right? He'd probably, probably, you know, extol David and love him for that, but he doesn't. Instead, he gets incredibly jealous of David because he wants his son Jonathan to be the king. And so Saul begins to throw spears at David. Come on, he begins... Multiple times, he begins to try to take David's life, then begins to chase him down. As David's hiding in caves and moving... All throughout, he begins to track him. And yet there's this promise that God has given David that he's supposed to be the king. 
He's supposed to be the king. And all throughout this, God is preserving David's life. He's giving incredible uh, provision and protection. He's giving guidance in all the things he's doing. And David, in the back of his mind, God has upheld his word until one day in chapter 27, just three chapters before the story that we are reading today, David makes a decision that I think is very curious when I'm reading. He makes this decision. In verse 1, the Bible says, David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. And so he's been through all of these things. I've kind of laid out for you the quick version of David's life. He's seen God's faithfulness in all these areas. But in verse, in chapter 27, verse 1, David comes to this moment in his life that he says, someday Saul is going to get me. In other words, he's saying someday, I know God's been with me every step of the way. I'm thankful for his provision and his protection. But someday God's not going to be there. Someday God's not going to have this thing. I know he's protected me against the lion and the bear and Goliath and in the caves and all these things. But David comes to a realization in chapter 27 in his own life. He says, someday God's not going to be there. Saul's going to get the advantage on me. And the best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. And then Saul will stop hunting for me in Israelite territory. And I will finally be safe. David made this vow in his heart. God... You're not strong enough to protect me. In his words, God, you're not strong enough in this moment. And I'm thankful for all you've done to this point. Oh, God, you are great and you have done great things. But someday Saul's going to get me. Someday it's going to run out. Eventually a time's going to come where Saul will actually get through. And so if I'm going to be safe, I need to take matters into my own hands. I need to be in my own hands, take my circumstances. And so we find David in the city of Ziklag. Three chapters later, which is in the far southern part of Israel, it's actually into Philistine territory. We find him hiding from Saul, taking his life into his own hands. He's not making decisions now out of faith. He's not making decisions out of trust in God or the destiny God has spoken over his life. Now David's making decisions based out of fear. He's looking at his life and he's saying, someday Saul's going to get me, so I need to change this thing. And if I don't take life in my own hands, it's not going to turn out the way that I want it to. And so for us, oftentimes Ziklag becomes this place that symbolizes for us this place of self-dependence, this, self, this place of self-reliance, this place of saying, God, we are thankful for what you have done. And God, you have been faithful to this point, but someday it's not going to work out. Someday you won't be strong enough. Someday you're going to leave us. And so I need, if I want this thing to happen, I've got to take matters into my own hands. If I want this, I got to be reliant on myself. If this thing's going to work out, if my career is going to get on track, if my destiny is going to unfold, if my empire is going to get built, if whatever it is, if that blessing you promised to me, God, if it's going to actually happen, then I got to take matters into my own hands and do what I think is best. I wonder how many of us are in the place of Ziklag today. I wonder how many of us have said that there are things God has spoken over our lives. There are things we believe, promises from the Lord. There are things that we have walked in. We have seen God's faithfulness. I wonder how many of us, though, now are in the place of Ziklag, thinking, I've got to do this thing on my own. That one day God's not going to be there for me, and so I need to take matters in my own hands. And maybe you've encountered adversity. You feel like Saul is out to get you. And so you're in a place where you're thinking, God, I, I thank you for what you've done, but I'll take it from here. In this place of self-reliance. And the Bible says that God allows this condition in David's life for about a year and four months. 
He lets David live this double life for about a year and four months. So for about 16 months, he's kind of living this, this strange double life. He's, he's been with his alliance. He said he's in alliance with the enemy, with the Philistines. And yet he's leading these raids and trying not to attack Israel. So he's lying to everybody in his life. He's trying to keep up this facade, trying to protect himself. And you'll notice in this story, while I don't believe that God is the author of pain, I don't believe that for one second. I believe the devil comes to create some horrific things in our life. I believe that sin opens the door oftentimes to pain and destruction in our life. But I also do believe in the sovereignty of God. And I also believe that God will from time to time allow our ziklag to burn to the ground if it's the thing that wakes us up. That he will allow from time to time our city, our thing we think is our self-reliance to burn to the ground if it is the catalyst, the thing that wakes us up. That wakes us up in this thing. And I just want you to know when you feel like you are down, David is standing in the midst of ruin and everybody in his life is turned against him. This is a moment for David. But when you feel like you are down, I promise you God is up to something. When you feel like you are down to nothing, when there is nothing left, when you cannot turn anywhere, I promise you that that's when God is up to something, that God is moving and using the circumstances of our life to bring us to the place he wants for us, not the ziklag we've run to. Not the self-reliance we start to depend on. Not this idea we have that somehow I need to do it on my own. Somehow I need to create this on my own. God has promises for our lives. And we need to rest and secure that he will always be faithful. In the midst of this and everybody in his life, David has turned against him. Everybody's turned against him. I just want you to know when that moment comes, when you are down to nothing, that is your wake-up call. That is that moment where God is asking you to turn to him. I believe God is pursuing you because he wants a relationship with you. And so he has this moment for David when he reaches the lowest moment, when he's lost his finances, lost his family, lost his city, lost his friends, his army, when everybody turns against him. That is the catalyst moment for David, because the Bible says in the very next verse, verse six, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. That in that moment when he was down to absolutely everything he had tried to amass, his families, his finances, his city, his army, everything was gone and it turned against him. In that moment, it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. That David had come to nothing and there was finally enough pain in his life that he said, enough is enough. I'm turning back to the God who's always been faithful. Enough is I've done three chapters now of trying to do my own thing. I've had 16 months of running from the promise God has for me. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. I've got to turn back to Yahweh. And it says this in verse eight. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Remember, he is down to nothing. It is him alone. He says, shall I pursue this troop and shall I overtake them? And the answer came to from God, pursue for you will surely overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. That's what the Lord said to him. Now, I want you to know this year, I've been praying over what God would want to say to us. That there have been seasons we have walked through that God is giving us for this next year. And I believe that God is speaking to us that we are going to recover what the enemy tried to take from us. That we're going to recover what the enemy tried to steal from you. Because in John chapter 10, come on, yeah, we can give God glory for that. John chapter 10, it says this, it says the thief comes only in order to steal, to kill and to destroy. I can promise you in everybody's life at some point in this season that the thief has come to steal, to kill and to destroy. He's tried to steal things from you. He's tried to rob you of things. For some of you, it was your peace. For some of you, it was your joy. You haven't been joyful since you don't know when. For some of you, it was your hope in the future. The devil has tried to steal that. He's stolen it from you. But Jesus said, I came that you would have an enjoyed life and have it in abundance. One translation said that it would overflow. 
That you would have life and you would have it in abundance. He said, the thief tries to steal, but God has come that you would have life. Jesus said, I've lived my life, that you would have life beyond your expectations. And really, as I reflected on it, it has been a season during this pandemic. There have been so many things the devil has tried to steal from our culture, tried to take from our nation, tried to steal from our families and our marriages, tried to steal from our church. There have been so many things he's tried to take from us. So then what is our response? What is our response? I believe the word God has for us is this word pursue. For this year, it's this word pursue. I believe it's time for us to get back up off the mat and begin to pursue and go after those things that have been stolen. That God is speaking to our lives. The devil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life that we would overcome and overtake the enemy and take back what's been stolen from us. That he has come to give us life. I believe this is the year God's going to do some things in your heart and in your family and in your life. It's going to blow your mind. I believe this is the year. That word in the Hebrew, that word pursue, it means to chase to run after, to hunt. And I believe there's amazing blessings God has for our lives. See, the problem, though, is your culture will try to put you on the sideline. Culture we live in will try to victimize you and try to say that you are not responsible, but it's just the circumstances around you, and there's nothing you can do to have your life go right. That if you'll just sit on the sideline and wait for somebody else to come and help you out of that, that there's nothing you could do. And I promise you it is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Too often times this church, we are full, the modern day church, full of people who are waiting on God and God is waiting on us, that he has given us direction. He has given us actions. He has given us things that we're supposed to be doing on this earth right now that we are too busy laying on the sidelines, not getting into the fight. But we are called to pursue. It's time to get up and pursue the things God has for us. We're going to recover what was stolen. Now, there are three specific things that I want you to see that God brings into David's life that I believe he has for us as well. That David pursues areas I want to focus in as we pray corporately during these 21 days. First one is we have to pursue the Lord above all else. Before anything else, we're going to pursue. We have to understand our relationship with God is the key to everything else in our life. You say, well, why isn't this relationship working? Why am I trying so hard here? Why our relationship with God, it comes first. We pursue him before anything else in our life. If it's the best year of your life spiritually, it'll be the best year of your life. It's what we're pursuing after. It's why I love that David began the catalyst. The turning point in his life is in verse 8, where he says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I looked up that word strengthened in the Hebrew. It means to strengthen, to be strong, to be courageous, to be resolute. There's something we got to be resolved in. That we say, you know what? It's not by might. It's not by my power. But it's by the Spirit of God that these things are happening in my life. If I'm going to get myself out of this situation, I have to recognize that I'm not strong enough. If I'm going to get myself out of this situation, I can recognize that I am not the God of my life. There's no way I could be the God of my life. It's not my strength. It's not my power. This thing's not going to go just because I'm in it. We have to come to a place where we recognize that I am not the God of my life. We have to turn our eyes to heaven. We have to look at where our help comes from. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is commissioning Joshua to go and take the promised land. He's praying over him and he's giving him the word of the Lord to go and take the city. And this word he uses, he says, be strong and courageous. This word he uses here is the same word it's used for David when he strengthens himself in the Lord. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified of them because the Lord your God goes with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. The reason we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord is because we remember that he has never abandoned us. 
reason we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord is we can remember that he has never been unfaithful, that he has always been with us. It doesn't matter what we walk through. He has been with us every step of the way. And I can promise you I am preaching better than you are responding this morning. I'll just tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. I'm preaching in this Baptist church. God is more faithful to forgive than we are to sin. Bible says that David came back and strengthened himself in the Lord. I would remind you, his mercies are new every morning. And as soon, as soon as David was ready, God was there. As soon as David turned back to the Lord, God was there. As soon as he was ready, God answered. God was in that moment. God was there. So he acknowledged, I am not the Lord of my life. I am not in charge. I don't have the authority or the power to overcome this thing, but I'm going to strengthen myself in the God who does. I'm going to run after him. Hosea chapter 6 says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun will rise, as he will appear. He'll come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I promise you, church, our God is faithful. That our God has been faithful in the past. He will be in the present and he will be with us whatever we walk through. That we're going to pursue some things that were stolen from us and we're going to recover. And we're going to recover in the name of the Lord. Hosea, there's no doubt in my mind. God's presence is the catalyst for that. So if we're going to pursue, we're going to pursue our relationship with the Lord. If we're going to pursue, that's the first thing. David had to get to a place where he had nowhere else to turn to be reminded of that fact. Now, I think it's kind of ironic, to be honest with you. That David, of all the people in the Bible, that David needed to be reminded of the fact to strengthen himself in the Lord. Like when he says he strengthened himself, I wonder what that looks like for David. Like, I wonder what that looks like. He probably sat down and thought about the amazing things that God had done in his life. Probably sat down and made a list of the things where the lion and the bear, God gave him victory over. Probably thought about Goliath that God had sent him to and God had brought him through, that he had slain the giant in supernatural gifting of God, that he had had that victory. Probably thought about that. Probably thought about all the times in the caves and in the places he was running to that God had preserved his life and given him a miraculous way of escape, that God had watched over him. Or he could have just sung some of his songs back to himself. Come on, somebody. Like, he could have just gone back through. How many know, sometimes you don't need more information. You just need to check your notes from last week, like what God spoke to you. Like, sometimes you don't need more information. You just got to remember what God has done in the past. David probably could have sung some of his own psalms that he wrote back to himself. Like, he wrote in Psalms 4, verse 8. I got a few of these for you. In peace, I'll lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. It's you alone, God, that brings my safety. He says, in peace, I'll lay down and sleep. He wrote that. All he had to do was go back and check his journal. Like all he had to do was realize what God had done for him. But he forgot all of that for a year and four months. But in this moment, he strengthened himself in the Lord, went back and checked what God had done. In Psalms 23, he said, Lord, even though I walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He begins to pray this prayer. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the midst of my adversity, God, you do not only give me protection, you give me provision. That even in the midst of everybody trying to backstab me, talking about me in this moment, David could have said, when all my friends have turned against me, when everything is gone, God, even in that moment, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows because of my God, not because of my own strength. He begins to pray that over himself. Psalms, Psalms chapter 27, he begins to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's not Saul. It's not Saul trying to get me. Who am I going to be afraid of? The Lord is the light of my life. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why? Because the Lord is the stronghold I run to. Who am I going to be afraid of? 
He says, when the wicked come after me and advance to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who are going to stumble and fall. He needs to begin to pray that back over. He says, you're not going to get me. God has his hand on my life. God has a plan for me. Psalm 62, he said, truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my right. Some of you need to remind yourself of the word of the Lord. Some of you need to begin to strengthen yourselves in the Lord. When you're walking through something, when you're going through times, you need to strengthen. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. David had to remind himself. He had to strengthen himself in the Lord. I want to encourage you. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what circumstance is. I don't know what it is you're facing. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You got to begin to strengthen yourself. You got to remember your God is big and your problems are small, not vice versa. That he has things for your life. The devil loves to convince you that you are all alone. That you are all alone and that God doesn't love you. The devil would love to convince you that your life and the world has passed you by. And I promise there is nothing further from the truth that God has plans for your life. That he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That he still wants you. That it is never too late to be who you could have been. That God has a plan for you. And I promise you, the devil would love to get in your ear and give you all of these lies that it's too late and that you're too small and that your problems are too great. But I promise you, your God speaks over you the truth. That he will never leave or forsake you. That he has plans for your life. That he wants to use you to change your world around you. Because the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You see the progression in this verse. Because if I could just bring some truth to you this morning, oftentimes the things you need are not often the things that we are praying for. Oftentimes the things we pray for are the wrong things. And we begin to pray all these things that we want or we need, we think we need. But the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, oftentimes, and I want you to understand this truth, that most of the time you don't need those things you're praying for. What you need is more of Jesus. Because he becomes for you what you cannot be for yourself. Too often times we're praying for the periphery things. We want the byproducts, but what we actually need is the Savior. Because then he becomes for you what you cannot be for yourself. All those things that you are praying for, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Put him first. And I promise you all those other things, God takes care of that. That God would give you what you need. And so if you're hurting, he becomes for you your healing. He is your comfort. I want you to know that if you are, delight yourself, watch this, that if you are hurting, he is your comfort. That if you're confused, he is your guide. If you're discouraged, he is your hope. He becomes for you what you cannot be for yourself. If you're discouraged, he is your hope. If you're anxious, he is your peace. If you're weak, he is your strength. If you are full of fear, then he is your faith. He becomes for you what you cannot be for yourself. That God has spoken over you. That we delight ourselves in the Lord and he gives us the desires of our heart. He is for you what you cannot be for yourself. I would encourage you, we're going to pursue the Lord because he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. We're going to pursue him. And so in verse 8, David inquires of the Lord and says, shall I pursue? Should I, can I overtake them? And the answer comes to him from God. And he says, pursue, for you surely overtake them. And watch this, without fail, you'll recover all. Two things David pursued, two things he recovered that I think God has for our life as well. After our relationship with the Lord. Second thing we're going to pursue this year, that we're going to try to retake, that we're going to believe God as we pursue as our families. We're going to begin to pursue our families. Not only did David have his own personal revival, not only did he do all that, he strengthened himself in the Lord and he looked at those guys and said, yeah, y'all not going to stone me today because we got some work to do. God told us we're going to, we're going to pursue, we're going to overtake and we're going to reclaim. And he says, so today's not the day y'all going to stone me because we got to take it to the enemy. 
We got some things to fix. We got some stuff to reclaim. We got some places to go. We got an enemy to fight. It's not today you're going to stone me. We're out there to do something that God has called us to do. And so he calls them out. He says, we're going to pursue. And the thing we're going to pursue is our families. Because I can promise you the thing the enemy attacks after your relationship with God that he tries to undermine is the family unit. That he is trying to undermine. When families are strong, nations thrive. And so the devil wants nothing more than try to destroy our families. Try to weave his way in to destroy and attack the family unit in our nation to watch it crumble. And I'm not in this for politics. If you know me, I couldn't care less about all that. What I care about is what's happening in our city, what's happening in our church, what's happening in our community, happening in our families that the devil is trying to attack. What I care about is what the devil is trying to undermine that God has spoken needs to be strong. That we have been called to. That we are seeing him spread seeds, all kinds of lies to break up marriages. He's spreading all kinds of lies to break up families. All kinds of lies to put division between fathers and children, between mothers and children, between spouses, between brothers and sisters in Christ, between adopted families. Some of you don't have great biological family. You have family of choice, which oftentimes is the best family, oftentimes. And so in our body of Christ as a family, he's looking to break it up. Things that brothers and sisters in Christ would have laughed over and glossed over and protected over years ago. Now is the thing that's dividing them. Now is the thing that we're blowing out of proportion and we're deciding that that's the thing that's going to divide us as a church. That's the thing that's going to make me hate that brother in Christ or hate that sister in Christ. Too often times we're letting the devil come between us, undermine the family unit, and we don't even see it. But the Bible's saying we're going to reclaim this year. We're going to go after, we're going to pursue, and we're going to recover what the devil tried to steal from us. And these things he's trying to take from us. The Bible says in verse 18... Watch this in verse 18. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. I believe this is a year of reconciliation and restoration for some marriages, reconciliation and restoration for some sibling relationships, reconciliation, restoration for friendships and relationships and things in the church. I believe this is the year we're going to reclaim and we're going to recover all everybody. We're not going after just piecemeal. We're going to recover all that God has spoken to us, that God's going to bring some prodigal children home, that God's going to begin to bring families back together, that God's going to begin to speak over marriages and relationships, that he's going to begin to heal and to touch. And we're going to recover what the enemy has tried to take from us, that he's tried to take it for too long. We have said it's time for us to reclaim what the enemy tried to steal. It's time for us to take back what the enemy tried to take from us. And maybe you've been praying for that spouse or you've been praying for God to touch that relationship. I promise you, this is the year that we're going to go after it with everything we've got. That we're going to begin to pray and listen. And listen to me, it's not God just showing up and doing everything. David had to pray, but then David had to leave and go on what God had told him to do. Because David never would have recovered anything if he had just sat in Ziklag and said, Okay, God, you do it. God, I know you told me to pursue and God, I know you spoke over to me to go and chase them down and overtake. But God, you just go do the whole thing. If we sit and we wait for God to do everything, if we sit and we wait and say, I have no part in this, God, there's no way God could use me in this. We'll never recover what he has called us to recover, what he has told us to pursue. But he did it with his little army. He goes and takes over the Amalekites, took back his family. It's time for us to stand up, church. It's time for us to stand up as the body of Christ. Time for us to stand up as the fathers and mothers over our families. Time for us to stand up as leaders in our relationships, as leaders in our communities, in our small groups, at our business. It's time for us to stand up and to reclaim what the devil has tried to take from us. We're going to fight for community. We're going to fight. 
We're going to fight for our marriages. We're going to have the hard conversations. We're going to fight for our relationships to be a presence in our children's lives. We're going to say we will not lose that next generation. We're going to fight for what God has called us to be over, what God has called us to do. We're going to fight for that. We're not going to let it go without a fight. We're going to fight over our community and our relationships, everybody. It's who we are called to be. You have to decide. And honestly, we're going to have to make tough decisions as families. You're going to have to decide, what are we going to be a part of? What are we going to say yes to? What are we going to say no to? What, what are, we, are we going to play sports seven days a week or are we going to actually have a family? We're going to begin to make decisions as a family. What we're going to be a part of, what we're going to actually pursue and what we're going to do when we go after the Lord. We're going to see what things are taking away from our relationship with him. I'm not saying you quit everything. I'm saying we're strategic about what we do and what we don't do. That we're going to follow after the Lord. We're going to pursue. And the Bible says we're going to recover all, everybody. We're going to recover all. The last thing I believe we're called to pursue is the future that some of us have given up on. We're going to pursue the Lord. We're going to pursue our families. But we're going to pursue and we're going to have hope again. We're going to believe some of you, you had God speak something over your life, something you're supposed to do, something you're supposed to accomplish. You had it spoken, but you gave up on it. That's somewhere along the journey. Somewhere along the journey, you took a left turn and headed out towards Ziklag. Somewhere along the journey, you left that thing behind. This is the year we're going to reclaim. We're going to begin to pursue. Because in chapter 27, this turning point, it's fascinating to me about David's story that always going from place to place, always seeing God's hand on his life, always pursuing the kingship God had promised to him. It's fascinating to me that at that moment, chapter 27, when he decides to take his life into his own hands and goes off the grid, aligns himself with the enemy. Like he's given up on being king, completely off the radar. But then in verse 20, in verse 20, the Bible says he also recovered. Watch this. I love this part of it. He recovered the flocks and the herds. And his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. They recovered everything. Sons and daughters, wives, every possession, but also the flocks and the herds. Again, the livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. And watch this. When he arrived at Ziklag... When he arrived back at this city of his self-reliance, when he got back to that place, that chapter 27, he took a turn from the plan God has. Something clicks in David's mind that he suddenly realizes that there's something, there's something God has called me to. There's, he's reminded of the position God had promised to him. Because he had given up on this idea of being king. He's with the Philistines. He's trying to preserve his own life. But something at this moment, Ziklag has burned to the ground. That city is gone. And when he arrives back at the ruins with the plunder God has sent him to take, something clicks in his mind. In verse 26, the Bible tells us he sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends. Here's a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. He sends this to Judah. Now, I want to pause for just a minute because this is a step back towards David's destiny. God had called him to be the leader of Israel. God had called him to be the king. And somewhere along the way, as though he had given up on the dream, he's hiding in Ziklag. God burns that city to the ground. He has to pursue, he has to reclaim, he has to strengthen himself in the Lord. And here at the end of our story, he remembers, I'm made for something more. Remembers, I'm not supposed to be hiding here at Ziklag. He, something clicks in David's mind. And he realizes that all that he's been through right now wasn't just about reclaiming his family. It wasn't just about strengthening himself and pursuing the Amalekites. That's not what the story was about. He realizes at the end of this that he has a promise from God he's supposed to be pursuing. He remembers the future God had spoken to his life. And he realizes that the blessing God has given him today was the key to unlocking the destiny God had for him tomorrow. He recognizes this at the end of the story. He realizes immediately when he gets back to Ziklag, he sends a part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, his friends, a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he says. And what's fascinating to me is two days later, 
Two days after he returns to Ziklag and sends this gift to the elders of Judah, two days later, David receives word that Saul has been killed on the battlefield. And the gift that he sent to the elders of Judah suddenly opened the political channels for those same elders to invite him to become the king of Israel. It's the exact same moment you can read at the very next chapter, two days after this, that God has been orchestrating and moving. And David gets word that the destiny God has for him, he's been hiding in Ziklag a year and four months. But the second he turns and realizes, remembers that God has a promise on his life, he hears that Saul has been killed on the battlefield. And now it's time for David to step into the kingship. It's time for David to see the promise of God. David realized what God has blessed me with today has become the key to my destiny. God has promised me tomorrow. He realizes that's what he's got to step into. And I've got to think, he's thinking, how can I leverage this moment? What can I do to step back into what God has called me to do? What can I do to step back in? And I want you to know some of you have dreams in your heart that God has placed there. Some of you have promises that God has spoken over your life. I believe every person in this church, every person watching online, God has a plan of God for your life. He has something for you to accomplish. He has a world for you to change. He has places for you to go. He's got things for you to do for the kingdom of God. And you have to recognize the blessings he gives you. When they bestow on you, it's not just about you getting your family back, not just about you being strong in your marriage. It's so that you can use that then to change the world for the body of Christ, that you can show what an example of a strong marriage can be. You can show what a family is supposed to look like. You can love others as Christ loved you. The blessings he's giving you today is the resources he wants you to use for the destiny he's promised over your life. That God has something incredible for you to accomplish. If the body of Christ, if each of us would just come, if we would just realize, we could just get a glimpse of what God wants to do through us. And we would change the world. And he's called us to that. Obviously, David steps right back into being king of the nation of Israel, becomes the king that God called him to be. I believe God has called you to something. I believe God has called you to whatever area of influence, whatever sphere of of talents God has blessed you with, whatever finances, whatever thing God has put in your life. He didn't do it so you could be great. He did it so you could make the kingdom of God great. He didn't do it so that he could just get resources to you. He did it so he could get it through you. He's blessed us so that we can make a change in our world. He has called us. He has called us as a church. And so this year, church, we are going to reclaim We're going to pursue. We're going to go after everything that God has for us, but it's on us to pursue. God's going to speak the word. It's on us to take the step. It's on us to go after that. It's on you to make that phone call. It's on you to have the interview. It's on you to start the small group. It's on you to start the business. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, it's on you to take that step, and God will honor that. That he's called us to pursue. He's called us to reclaim. I don't know what the devil stole from you this last year. I don't know if it was an interview or a relationship or a thing or whatever it was. God has called us to pursue. God has called us to recover and God has blessed us and he has said he's going to help us recover all. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I just want to pray, God, whatever that pursuit looks like, God, that you would birth that passion, that conviction in our hearts that we would reclaim, that we would go after, that we would run with everything we've got to reclaim what the devil tried to steal from us. God, that you would give us the strength to do that. Whatever that looks like in your life this morning. Whatever that looks like for you. Whatever it is that the devil's tried to steal from you. I want you to know that the pursuit, it begins with your relationship with God. All of this begins. 
And so if you came in this morning or you're watching online and you think I'm far from God, I've never felt this far from me. He feels a million miles away. I want you to know that right now he is still pursuing you. That I don't care what anybody else has told you, God still wants you. That it's never too late to be who you could have been, that God still has a plan for you. I want you to know he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He's not mad at you. I don't care how many mistakes you made in this past year. God's not mad at you. He's not hanging those over your head. That's not what he's in this for. The Bible says Jesus didn't come so that you would be guilty. He came to set you free. And so I promise being in a relationship with God is the best decision you could ever make. Forget about New Year's resolutions. Best decision you can make in your life is to be in relationship with him. So I want to give you an opportunity to begin that today. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you say, that's me, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want his life inside of me. I want his forgiveness of the things that I've done. I want a brand new start. I want him to make me new. And I want to pursue all God has for me. I want his plan for my life. If that's you today, I want you to know it starts with a prayer. It'd be my honor to help you to pray it. I can give you the words. You have to pray them and you have to mean them for your own life. It's a prayer of surrender to him. So right now, we're going to pray that prayer. And church, we're going to pray with them. Nobody prays alone. But you say these words. Say them right now. You want a relationship with him. We're going to pray it with you. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. Now, Father, I thank you for every person here. God, I pray you would lead every one of us in our own personal revival. God, let us strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Let us remember the faithfulness of our God. God, we thank you for the amazing things that you have done in the past. We thank you for all that you're going to do in our future. God, we thank you that you are always there. God, that you have never left us. God, that even in our darkest moment, we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord, that you are waiting for us to turn to you. God, that in these 21 days, we're going to pursue everything you have for us. God, we are going to get our relationship with you back on track. We are going to silence the world and we're going to listen to what you have to say to us. God, I thank you for reconciliation. God, I thank you for healing you're going to bring to relationships. God, I thank you for healing you're going to bring to marriages, to families, to friendships, God, to brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you that you're going to restore what the enemy tried to steal. That you're going to restore in us the joy of our salvation. You're going to restore the peace that you promised to us. You're going to restore, God, God, all the hope that we had in the future you have for us. And God, we thank you that we're going to step into the calling you have for us. God, that by your might and by your power and by your Holy Spirit, we're going to step into to change our world. That you're going to send us opportunities. We're going to lift up our eyes to see the harvest. God, that you're going to see and show us things that we can change for the kingdom of God. And we'll give you all of the praise and we'll give you all of the glory when we see you do it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we give God praise for what he's done this morning?